Hello everybody and welcome to The Power of Positivity. I am your host, James Whisker, and it is my job to spread a little bit of inspiration and joy to you all during these difficult times. In this podcast, I will be sharing touching, inspirational and joyful stories. So sit back, relax and enjoy The Power of Positivity. Well, welcome to episode 10 of The Power of Positivity. Apologies, it has been a few weeks since my last episode. Uh, Some personal things came up um, and I needed to spend a little bit of time with the family. But I am back now, however, and I feel the timing is right. As we find ourselves in the clutches of a second lockdown. So I hope this episode brings you a little bit of positivity during these times. Our first story in today's episode is actually um, in the form of a speech that the CEO and co-founder of Apple, Steve Jobs, gave. Um, He was addressing Stanford University in 2005. And I think it's a really touching and poignant story. So here it is. It's called The Final Destination. When I was 17, I read a quote that went something like, If you live each day as if it was your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. It made an impression on me, and since then, for the past 33 years, I have looked in the mirror every morning and asked myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? And whenever the answer has been no, For too many days in a row, I know I need to change something. Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, just seem to fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You are already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart. About a year ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. I had a scan at 7.30 in the morning and it clearly showed a tumour on my pancreas. I didn't even know what a pancreas was. The doctors told me this was almost certainly a type of cancer that is incurable and that I should expect to live no longer than three to six months. My doctor advised me to go home and get my affairs in order, which is doctor's code for prepare to die. It means try to tell your kids everything you thought you'd have the next ten years to tell them in just a few months. It means to make sure everything is buttoned up so that it will be easy as possible for your family. It means, say your goodbyes. Now, I lived with that diagnosis all day. Later that evening, I had a biopsy where they stuck an endoscope down my throat, through my stomach and into my intestines, put a needle into my pancreas and got a few cells from the tumour. I was sedated, but my wife who was there told me that when they viewed the cells under a microscope, the doctors started crying because it turned out to be a very rare form of pancreatic cancer that is curable with surgery. I had the surgery, 
and I'm fine now. This was the closest I've been to facing death, and I hope it's the closest I get for a few more decades. Having lived through it, I can now say this to you with a bit more certainty, that when death was a useful but purely intellectual concept, no one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. And yet death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it, and that is as it should be, because death is very likely the single best invention of life. It is life's change event. It clears out the old to make way for the new. Right now, the new is you. But someday, not too long from now, you will gradually become the old and be cleared away. Sorry to be so dramatic, but it's quite true. Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, living with the results of others' thinking, and don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. Most importantly, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. Well, sadly, Steve Jobs is no longer with us, but I thought that was an incredibly touching and poignant speech he gave to the students of Stanford University in 2005. He taught us uh, the importance of living the life you want to live, not being held back by doubt or fear of failure. And I'm sure they all took a lot away from him that day. He was a true visionary and no doubt he achieved everything he wanted to achieve in life. Up next is a story called The Daffodil Principle, and actually quite similar to the last story in its core message remains the same, but it's just told in a very different way. So here it is. Several times my daughter had telephoned to say, Mother, you must come and see the daffodils before they are over. I wanted to go but it was a two-hour drive from Laguna to Lake Arrowhead. I will come next Tuesday, I promised, a little reluctantly, on her third call. Next Tuesday dawned cold and rainy. Still, I had promised, and so I drove there. When I finally walked into Carolyn's house and hugged and greeted my grandchildren, I said, forget the daffodils, Carolyn. The road is invisible in the clouds and fog and there is nothing in the world except you and these children that I want to see bad enough to drive another inch. My daughter smiled calmly and said, We drive in this all the time, Mother. Well, you won't get me back on the road until it clears, and then I'm heading for home, I assured her. I was hoping you'd take me over to the garage to pick up my car. How far will we have to drive? Oh, just a few blocks, Carolyn said. I'll drive, I'm used to this. After several minutes, I had to ask, where are we going? This isn't the way to the garage. We're going to my garage the long way, Carolyn smiled by way of the daffodils. Carolyn, I said sternly, please turn around. It's all right, mother, I promised. You will never forgive yourself if you miss this experience. After about 20 minutes, we turned onto a small gravel road and I saw a small church. On the far side of the church, I saw a hand-lettered sign that said Daffodil Garden. We got out the car and each took a child's hand and I followed Carolyn down the path. Then we turned the corner of the path 
and I looked up and gasped. Before me lay the most glorious sight. It looked as though someone had taken a great vat of gold and sprinkled it down over the mountain peak and slopes. The flowers were planted in majestic swirling patterns, great ribbons and swirls of deep orange, white, lemon, yellow, a salmon pink, saffron and butter yellow. Each different colour variety was planted as a group, so that it swelled and flowed like its own river with its own unique hue. There were five acres of flowers. But who has done this? I asked Carolyn. Oh, it's just one woman, Carolyn answered. She lives on the property, that's her home. Carolyn pointed to a well-kept A-frame house that looked small and modest in the midst of all that glory. We walked up to the house. On the patio we saw a poster. Answers to the questions I know you are asking was the headline. The first answer was a simple one. 50,000 bulbs, it read. The second answer was, one at a time, by one woman. Two hands, two feet, and very little brain. The third answer was, began in 1958. There it was, the daffodil principle. For me, that moment was a life-changing experience. I thought of this woman who I had never met, who, more than 40 years before, had begun one bulb at a time to bring her vision of beauty and joy to an obscure mountaintop. Still, just planting one bulb at a time, year after year, had changed the world. This unknown woman had forever changed the world in which she lived. She had created something of magnificence, beauty and inspiration. The principle her daffodil garden taught is one of the greatest principles of celebration. That is, learning to move towards our goals and desires just one step at a time, often just one baby step at a time, and learning to love the doing, learning to use the accumulation of time. When we multiply tiny pieces of time with small increments of daily effort, we too will find we can accomplish magnificent things, we can change the world. It makes me sad in a way, I admitted to Carolyn. What might I have accomplished if I had thought of a wonderful goal 35 or 40 years ago and had worked away at it one bulb at a time through all those years? Just think what I might have been able to achieve. My daughter summed up the message of the day in her usual direct way. Start tomorrow, she said. I loved that story and the message at the very end there uh, being that it is never too late to follow your dreams. Up next is a story called Counting Marbles and we seem to be having a strange pattern on today's episode, a strange synchronicity because every story has kind of taught us the same message about living the life you want to live and not wasting your time on this planet and this story shares that message in yet another different way. So here it is. The older I get, the more I enjoy Saturday mornings. Perhaps it's the quiet solitude that comes with being the first to rise. Or maybe it's the unbounded joy of not having to be at work. Either way, the first few hours of a Saturday morning are most enjoyable. A few weeks ago I was shuffling towards the kitchen with a steaming cup of coffee in one hand and the morning paper in the other. 
What began as a typical Saturday morning turned into one of those lessons that life seems to hand you from time to time. Let me tell you about it. I turned the volume up on my radio in order to listen to a Saturday morning talk show. I heard an older sounding chap with a golden voice. You know the kind, he sounded like he should be in a broadcasting business himself. He was talking about a thousand marbles to someone named Tom. I was intrigued and sat down to listen to what he had to say. Well Tom, it sure sounds like you're busy with your job. I'm sure they pay you well, but it's a shame you have to be away from home and your family so much. Hard to believe a young fellow should have to work 60 or 70 hours a week just to make ends meet. Too bad you missed your daughter's dance recital, he continued. Let me tell you something, Tom. Something that has helped me keep a good perspective on my own priorities. And that's, he began to explain, his theory of a thousand marbles. You see, I sat down one day and did a little arithmetic. The average person lives about 75 years. I know, some live more and some live less. But on average, folks live about 75 years. Now then, I multiplied 75 by 52 and I came up with 3,900, which is the number of Saturdays that the average person has in their entire lifetime. Now stick with me here, Tom. I'm getting to the important part. It took me until I was 55 years old to think about all this in any detail, he went on. And by the time I had lived through more than 2,800 Saturdays, I got to thinking that if I lived to be 75, I only had about a thousand of them left to enjoy. So I went to a toy store and bought every single marble they had. I ended up having to visit three toy stores to round up a thousand marbles. I took them home and put them inside a large clear plastic container right here in my workshop next to the radio. Every Saturday since then, I take one marble out and throw it away. I found that by watching the marbles diminish, I focused more on the really important things in life. There is nothing like watching your time here on this earth run out to help get your priorities straight. Now let me tell you one last thing before I sign off and take my lovely wife out for a breakfast. This morning, I took the very last marble out of the container. I figure if I make it until next Saturday, then God has blessed me with a little extra time to be with my loved ones. It was nice to talk to you, Tom. I hope you spend more time with your loved ones and I hope to meet you again someday. Have a good morning. You could have heard a pin drop when he finished. Even the show's moderator didn't have anything to say for a few moments. I guess he gave us a lot to think about. I had planned to do some work that morning and then go to the gym. Instead, I went upstairs and woke my wife up with a kiss. Come on, honey. I'm taking you and the kids to breakfast. What's brought this on? She asked with a smile. Oh, nothing special, I said. It has just been a long time since we spent a Saturday together with the kids. Oh, and by the way, can we stop at a toy store while we're out? I need to buy some marbles. Well, I hope you all enjoyed this week's episode of The Power of Positivity. And as always, I hope it brought you some joy and comfort during these difficult times. I look forward to you all joining me on the next episode. 
Also, feel free to give my Facebook page a like. It's www.facebook.com forward slash James Whiskers, W-I-S-K-E-R-S, The Power of Positivity. Take care and stay safe.